When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now... On with the show. (laughs) 
What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 22nd of February. Hope you're all well. The sun is out. It's a nice day. It's a good day to be a red. Liverpool 4, Luton Town 1 in the Premier League last night. Not a good first half, but an outstanding second half. Chidozi Egbona put Luton 1 up. And to be fair to them, they carried a significant threat in the first half. They're just a gnarly team to play against. They have a great identity. They're well coached. They're well organized. Thought Ted and Mengi really stood out for them defensively, particularly in that first half. But in the second half, it was all Liverpool. Virgil van Dijk made it 1-1, heading home on Alexis McAllister corner. Cody Gakbo made it 2-1, heading home on Alexis McAllister volleyed cross. Luis Diaz made it 3-1 after Andy Robertson won the ball back deep into Luton territory. And then Harvey Elliott made it 4-1, latching on to a loose ball after Cody Gakbo was tackled in the box. Liverpool were good value for the win. And what's most impressive is when you look at the Liverpool team, you note that nine of Jurgen Klopp's preferred starting 11 were not in the starting 11. Only Virgil van Dijk and Alexis McAllister were in the starting 11. Andy Robertson came off the bench. Ibu Kanate was on the bench, did not play. Alison Becker was not there. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold was not there. Dominic Zaboslai and Curtis Jones were not there and none of Liverpool's preferred front three were there. But yet the front three who stepped in all scored. Two of them played very well, Luis Diaz and Harvey Elliott. A bit of a, a, bit of a mixed night for Cody Gakbo. Some good, some not so good. All in all, Liverpool will be very, very happy with that win. It pushes them four points clear at the top of the Premier League. Now, they have obviously played a game more. This is their game from the upcoming weekend. But it pushes the pressure on to City and Arsenal now to keep pace with them. City, obviously, this weekend, away to Bournemouth. Arsenal, they host Newcastle. Both should win, but they're two tough games. Neither of them can take three points for granted ahead of those games. and. Just a little psychological boost for Liverpool of having played and won and gotten themselves ahead. That could be a significant factor. In the Champions League last night, we had two games, neither of which ended up being particularly good. Napoli won, Barcelona won. Robert Lewandowski put Barca one up on 60. Victor Osman equalised on 75. I was very, very disappointed with this game. I watched it last night, late last night, and was not impressed at all with either side. Napoli, I didn't expect to be impressed by because they've been a mess. But I did expect more of Barcelona. I liked how Barca lined up with Andreas Christensen playing as a defensive midfielder to allow Gundogan and Frankie de Jong to function more like eights rather than when they play one of them as the six or when they play Ariel Romeo, who, like with the greatest respect, should not be playing for Barcelona. Um, I I don't know what to make in Napoli. I, I thought it was odd that Kvaratskhelia was the one they took off, even though he wasn't getting much change out of uh, Jules Kunde. I thought there was others that could have come off at the time, but we'll see how that substitution impacts moving forward. In the other game... We got an upset. Porto won, 
Arsenal nil. Galeno with the late goal, 94 minutes, an absolutely stunning goal from about 25 yards out. Declan Rice doesn't close him down. He curled it out wide and brought it back in gloriously to find the net. Um, Arsenal got outfought, outthought, and outplanned in this game. Sergio Conce said Arsenal came to play and we came to win, and he was right. Arsenal were very, very naive in this game. This is an Arsenal team that doesn't have experience of playing at this level in these type of games. David Rea, Ben White, Saliba, Gabriel, they haven't been in the knockout phases of the Champions League. They didn't like the physical approach of Porto and stupidly they tried to match it and despite having 65% of the ball Arsenal committed 22 fouls last night which is quite staggering to have the ball that much and still foul that much Arsenal had zero shots on target none they had seven shots in total Porto had eight shots two on target Porto had more purpose when they had the ball. They had a more clear game plan. And like, this is a Porto team having their worst domestic campaign in about nine years. And yet, they were very easily able to nullify Arsenal. And that's a worrying thing for Arsenal. Now, Arsenal will point to injuries and say they didn't have... Zinchenko and they didn't have Jesus. But Leandro Trossard is playing better than Jesus this season. Now, I know Jesus connects things a lot better than Trossard, but Trossard is more impactful this season. I'm not really sure that Zinchenko would have made a huge difference because he would have inverted into midfield next to Declan Rice. Ben White did that. It didn't really work for them. It felt like Arteta overthought things a little bit. Now, I still fully expect Arsenal to get through. Arsenal are a much better team than Porto. And if you're putting together a combined 11 between the two sides, I think Alan Varela and maybe Evan Nielsen would get in the Arsenal team. I'd also take the goalkeeper, even though I'm not massively keen he has improved especially in terms of commanding his area I think I'd take him over Rea I think he's a better shot stopper than Rea um, not that he had anything to do last night but Varela in for Havertz Rice goes to his more natural number 8 position and Evan Nielsen through the middle I think I'd take 3 of the Porto players but the rest are Arsenal and they're Arsenal moving away so On talent, Arsenal should go through. There is a question mark over which team has the better manager. Certainly, Conceição is the more experienced manager. Um, He's been in this game a long, long time. He's now 12 years into his managerial career. And he's worked at clubs at various different levels as well. So he knows what it's like to go into a game as huge underdogs. He knows what it's like to scrap and claw for points. And last night he set his team up brilliantly. 
was very, very impressed with how well he set the team up. And he's obviously won quite a bit as Porto manager. Three league titles, three Portuguese cups, a league cup, and three super cups. He's a three-time Premier League coach of the season. He knows what he's about and he knows what he's doing. You don't last seven years at Porto and leave under your own steam without being a very, very good manager because that's a club with very high demands. And if you look at the managers who've succeeded at Porto over the years, he's the only one that's really decided to stay. He had multiple opportunities to leave and he decided not to. But Mourinho left, Villas-Boas left. He's the one that's kind of stuck at it. And if you look at Porto managers over the years, like if we move backwards from him, Nuno was there. He lasted one season. Josie Passerio lasted six months. Lopetegui lasted 18 months. Paolo Fonseca, less than a season. Vitor Pereira, two years. Did win back-to-back titles, decided to move on. Villas-Boas, one year, won everything, moved on. Feralda did well, three years, uh, for four years, and uh, Feralda, Ferreira, um, but he decided to move on and he went and chased the money with Malaga. Before that, Adriance, he lasted a year. Victor Fernandez lasted less than a year. Luigi Del Neri didn't last a summer. And then you're back to Mourinho. None of them come close to the length of tenure. Four years is the longest anyone has lasted there. Because of the demands, because of how the club is run in a lot of ways, like Pinto da Costa, P- Pinto da Costa is is tough to deal with. He's very, very tough to deal with, and a lot of coaches just find that they don't want to work with him because he's a pain in the arse. Now. It has led to tremendous success for Porto. Under his stewardship, which began in 1982, they've won 23 league titles, 15 cups, one league cup, 22 super cups, two European cups, two UEFA cups, a super cup and two intercontinental cups, or as we now know them, the World Club Cup. Like they've had amazing success under him, but managers find him tiresome. And he's always in some sort of bother as well. He's always getting himself in trouble. <clears throat> anyway, back to Sergio Conte. So I think there's going to be a couple of clubs that have strong interest in him this summer. I definitely think we'll see him get a pretty decent job come the summer. He might want to take some time off. You never know. He might feel like he wants a break from the game. Seven years is a long time. And like I said, he's been a manager for 12. So he might just be feeling a little bit of burnout. 
but he will definitely get some sort of position this summer, and it wouldn't be surprising if he if he lands in the Premier League. Like if Newcastle decided to move on from Eddie Howe, if West Ham decide to move on from David Moyes, they're not going to have a long list of managers better than him that they could go and get go and, uh, and chase. I think he could be a really good fit for West Ham. Um. But like I say, I expect Arsenal to bounce back in the second leg. I expect them to progress. They are the better team, unquestionably. But, you know, they were were better than Sporting Lisbon last year and they couldn't get past them at the same round of the Europa League. And we've spoken this week about how Arsenal tend to struggle at the end of seasons under Mikel Arteta. Um, Wanted to quickly catch up on the championship action from this week. We had four games. uh, Cardiff nil, Blackburn nil. Ipswich four, Rotherham three. That was a playoff team versus a team almost certainly going down. Plymouth nil, West Brom three. Great win for West Brom there. And Southampton, Southampton won Hull City two. Massive win for Hull. A big dent to Southampton, who are chasing promotion. Now, this weekend, you've got Coventry, a home to Preston. Leeds home to Leicester. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m. That is must-watch. Genuinely must-watch. That is second hosting first in the division. There's 13 games left. Those look like at the moment the two teams most likely to come up directly. Though Ipswich are turning things around. So maybe they can push themselves back up into second spot. Uh, You've got Hull versus West Brom. Early kickoff on Saturday. That should be a good one. Blackburn against Norwich. Ipswich against Birmingham. Obviously tough time for Birmingham at the moment with Tony Mowbray having had to step away. QPR versus Rotherham, Cardiff versus Stoke, Southampton against Millwall, Sheffield Wednesday versus Bristol City, Sunderland against Swansea, Watford against Huddersfield, and Middlesbrough against Plymouth. So at the moment, it's Leicester top, nine points clear of Ipswich. Sorry, of, of Leeds. Leeds are level on points with Ipswich, but have a significantly better goal difference. Leeds are in tremendous form. They've won their last five in a row. <clears throat> um, two points behind Ipswich is Southampton. Then it's a 12-point drop to West Brom. And as I've said before, it'll be two of... Well, it'll be one of Leeds, Ipswich and Southampton joining Leicester, unless Leicester have some sort of historic collapse here. And then the other two will be in the playoffs, leaving two playoff spots... And I think you're looking at Preston, uh, Preston, yeah, Preston, Norwich, Coventry, Hull, and West Brom as the teams most likely to fill those spots. So two of that group. If I had to bet at the moment, I would say Hull and I think Coventry. Coventry are very hard to beat. And Coventry have the experience of pressurised run-ins trying to get themselves into a playoff spot. So I think I'm going to back Coventry to be one of the 
teams in the playoffs this year. Um, Sunderland in 10th, they're only seven points behind Hull. And in that division, that can be made up quite quickly because teams go through weird runs. But there's so much upheaval there at the moment and we don't know who the next manager is going to be. So I can't really put much faith in them. Below Sunderland, it's Watford, Bristol City, Middlesbrough. Disappointing season for them. Cardiff, Birmingham, Blackburn, Plymouth Argyle, Swansea, Stoke City, Huddersfield, who've pulled themselves out of the relegation spots. Millwall, who've lost four in a row and are trending towards the relegation spots. QPR are only one point behind Millwall and have won two of their last four, have only lost one of their last five, whereas Millwall have lost four in a row. I can see QPR potentially jumping out of the relegation spots and Millwall dropping in. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday have 29 points. They are currently four points from safety. So they still have a good chance if they can put a decent run together and they've won two of their last three. And Rotherham looked dead and buried. They've looked, they've lost five or six in a row. Uh, so not great for them. Um, in League One, we had three games this midweek as well. Uh, Cambridge won, Bolton Wanderers two, Reading two, Port Vale nil, and Oxford United two, Northampton Town two. So the table has Pompey top. Six points clear of Derby, who are level on points with Bolton. Bolton have one game in hand on Derby, two in hand on Pompey. Then it is Barnsley, Oxford and Peterborough filling out the playoff spots. And I think only really Stevenage and Blackpool Blackpool have a chance to disrupt that and get into the playoff spots. Now, Stevenage have lost three of their last four and only one win in their last five. Peterborough have lost four in a row. They're doing their best to throw away a playoff spot. Uh, Late Orient sit ninth, Lincoln 10th, Northampton 11th, Bristol Rovers in 12th, Wigan Athletic in 13th. I'm just glad to see stability at Wigan. They don't appear to be on the brink of financial disaster, which is it's a step forward. Uh, Exeter City, Wickham, Reading, Cambridge, Burton Albion, Shrewsbury, Charlton, Cheltenham, Port Vale, Fleetwood and Carlisle currently in the relegation spots because four go down. Fleetwood and Carlisle look lost causes. Carlisle in particular, 20 points there. 13 points and 24 goals from safety and have lost four in a row. Five in a row, sorry, five in a row. Um, but anybody from... Because of, because of the unpredictable nature of these leagues and the fact that there's so many games, you could realistically see anyone from Wickham in 15th down, go, going down in that fourth relegation spot. Because there's only six points between Wickham and Cheltenham. I like Wickham, though. I don't want them going down. I've always had a soft spot for them. I think it's the Martin O'Neill thing. Um, League two, we had four games in the midweek. Gillingham nil, Stockport nil. Walsall three, Morecambe nil. 
MK Dons won, Wrexham won. A player sent off for both sides. James McLean scoring for Wrexham. He loved to see it. AFC Wimbledon nil, Crawley Town won. <laughs> Table, Stockport top, two points clear of Mansfield, but Mansfield have a game in hand. Wrexham are a point further back. Like Mansfield, they have a game in hand on Stockport. If both of them win the games in hand, Wrexham would stay third because their goal difference is considerably less than Stockport's. Uh, Crew are in fourth. MK Dons in fifth. Har- Barrow in sixth. Harrogate Town in seventh. Gillingham in eighth. Now, it's three, four teams going up. Three automatically and one through the playoffs. So Wrexham do have a good chance at automatic promotion. The playoffs as they stand, Crew will be in. MK Dons, I would guess, would be in. And Barrow looked like they should be in. So that only really leaves one spot. And you've got a whole mess of teams who could claim it. Harrogate are on 48. Gillingham, 48. AFC Wimbledon, Notts County and Morecambe, all 47. Accrington, Bradford, Crawley and Newport, all on 46. And Walsall, who are 16th in the league. On 45, only three points outside the relegation zone with a better goal difference than Harrogate. So that is still wide open for that last playoff spot and looks like it could be quite a fun battle for it. Um, below Walsall, it's a five-point gap to Tranmere. Then we've got Swindon, Salford, Doncaster, Colchester, Grimsby. The hapless Forest Green have moved off the bottom of the table. Sutton United now sit bottom. It is time for us to do our infrequent checkup on Big Dunk, see how he's getting on. Uh, So in recent weeks, I remember they beat Ayr, then they lost to Dundee United. They beat Broomhill in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. They beat Wraith Rovers. I think that's when we checked in on them the last time, a 3-2 win over Wraith Rovers. They lost 1-0 to Queen's Park. They lost 3-1 to Hibernian in the fifth round of the Cup, but that's that's no surprise. Hibs are significantly better. And then they drew 3-3 with Partick Thistle last time out. Uh, Looks like they threw away a two-goal lead and then got themselves 3-2 ahead and threw that away as well. So how is Big Dunk doing in terms of his career win percentage? Uh, it won't be pretty, but it's it's improved drastically. So with Inverness, 21 games, 8 wins, 6 draws, 7 defeats, a 38.1% win rate, which obviously isn't good, but it's a massively improved from the 5.56% win rate he had in 18 games at Inverness, or, sorry, at Forest Green. For the career, 44 games, 10 wins, 12 draws, 22 defeats, uh, a 50% loss record, and a 22.73% win record. Uh, at the moment, they sit eighth in the Scottish Championship. Now, it's worth pointing out that last season, they finished sixth. And the season before, they finished third. 
And the season before, they finished fifth. And the season before, they finished second. And the season before, they finished third. So this would be the worst season that they've had in quite a while. But that's big dunk for you. That's what he delivers. We'll be back after the break. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So it is Thursday, so therefore we do have some questions. Let's get into the Matt JT. Yesterday, this was Saturday, Liverpool had a starting 11 with 11 different nationalities. If you were tasked with building a Liverpool squad, starter and backup for every position of all different nationalities, who would you keep from the current squad and who would sign to fill the gaps? Okay, let's have a quick look. Um, so we can only keep one English player oh that's tough right hang on only keep one Dutch lad well that's easy right we're keeping Alison and Queeving because they're the only Brazilian and Irish players in the squad, Republic of Ireland. Obviously, Connor Bradley is from our island. He is Irish, but he plays for Northern Ireland. So we're keeping Connor Bradley. Uh, we're keeping Virgil. We're keeping Ibu. We can keep. See, we can keep Robbo and we can keep Costas for left back. We can keep Joel Matip. Unfortunately, Gerald Kwanzaa would have to go. Joe Gomez would have to go. The big question is, do we keep Trent or Curtis Jones? And Trent is the better player without question. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep Trent. Okay, so we've got Trent, Connor Bradley. Now, ideally, I would like to swap out Costas for another left back. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to swap Costas out and I'm going to sign Patrick Dorgu, the Danish left back who plays for Lecce. So I need a backup centre back. We're having to keep Joel Matip. Um, I need a backup centre back. Okay, we'll come back to that. Midfield, we keep Endo. Keeps the balls lie. We keep McAllister. Thiago, we say goodbye to. We keep Besetic. Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, Ryan Gravenberg, Bobby Clark, and James McConnell, thank you for your service. But unfortunately, I can't keep any of you. Um, so I want a starting defensive midfielder. I will take Lamine Kamara of Senegal. So I've got him and I've got Endo. I've got Dominic and Alexis. I'll keep Besetic as the backup to Alexis in that kind of more defensive eight. So I need a backup for Dominic. So I'll come back to that one. In attack, I keep Salah. I keep Darwin. I keep Jota. And I keep Diaz. Cody Gakbo. Cade Gordon, and unfortunately, Ben Doak. Actually, would it be better to sell Robertson 
and keep Doak looking at the long term. We'll just keep Robertson for now. Um, so I need I need two in attack. I've got four. I need two in attack. We'll bring in Kvitsa Kvalachkelia. So he can be our starting left winger. So we've got Mo, Darwin, and him. Jota back up through the middle. Diaz back up on the left. So we need a right-sided forward. So we're looking for a centre-back, an attack-minded eight, and a right-winger-ish type player. Um, for the right-sided eight role, the more attack-minded role, we are going to take ourselves to the Ukraine. We're going to call on Shakhtar Donetsk, and we're going to take Horhi Sudikev, young Ukrainian midfielder, 21 years of age. We'll take him. He's not as dynamic as Dominic, but he is a very good player. I think that's who I want. I think that's who I want. The other option. No, that's who we're going to go for. We'll go for Sudikov. So that's fine. Uh, For the centre-back we need, I'd like to have a left-footed centre-back in the squad. And as we do not have a an Ecuadorian player, we are going to go and get ourselves an Ecuadorian left-footed centre-back, not Piero Incapié. We will take William Pacho from Eintracht Frankfurt, who is, I think, outstanding. So we'll go with him. And now we need a right winger. And let's have a look. Let's have a look. I believe we don't have a Belgian in the squad. We do not have a Belgian in the squad. And what that will mean is that we go to the Netherlands. We go to PSV Eindhoven. And we will relieve them of Johan Bakioko. Yeah. Right. So that is. Let me get a piece of paper to write this down so I can figure this out. Why have I got this upside down? There we go. Right. Uh, I am bringing in Dorgu. I think 15 gets him. Pacho. I would say 25. Lamine Kamara. I think 20. Sudikov. I think 20. Yeah. Uh, Bakayoko, I believe the asking price is 30. And we'll just pay that and not argue. And then Kvicha, 
Last summer, the talk was 100 million. He hasn't had a particularly great season. I'm going to say 80. So that is 40, 60, 80. One times 190 million in spending with sales. Now, what we'll do is we'll just like say any of the academy players. So Kwanzaa, Clark, McConnell, Gordon, Doug. Like we'll just we'll not sell them because they're kids, but we'll we'll go through the rest that we have to sell. So um Adrian would leave on a free. Joe Gomez, off the season he's having, I think that's an easy 30 million. Costas, we'll say 15. Reese Williams, two, one, I don't know, something like that. Uh, Tiago would be a free. Curtis Jones, that's an easy 50 million. Easy 50. Gravenberg. What are we saying there? 25, 30? About that. And then Gakpo. Uh, 35, 40? We'll say 30 and 40 for the two Dutch lads. So that is 45, 47, 97, 167 coming in for six players and 190 going out for six players. Um, now, I might want another centre-back because Joel Matip, I mean, 32, he's torn his ACL, so you might want to look at a different centre-back. So we'll actually add Edmund Tapsopper to the incomings. Um, we don't have anyone from Burkina Faso, so now we have him. So let's say 45 for him, which puts us at 235, which is a net spend of 68 million to bring in Dorgu, Pacho, Kamara, Sudikov, Bakayoko, Kvicha and Topsapa. I think that's I think that's improved our squad, especially if we can keep all the sort of 21 and under academy players. Um, inclusive of Harvey Elliott, who did play in our academy. Curtis would be the... Curtis is the hardest one to sell, without question, of those. Without question, Curtis Jones is the hardest one to let go of. Um, Mr. Kevin Clark, it was only 10. Yeah, it was only 10 nationalities, but 11 international allegiances. Imagine the Premier League and FA implemented a rule change. This one is from Brad. Implemented a rule change where promoted teams were not allowed to be relegated in their first season up. Do you think this would change anything or just delay the inevitable and unintended, any unintended consequences you can think of? Um, it would. Well, we definitely see teams that wouldn't normally get relegated go down. It would drive competition. You would have to relax the spending rules, though. You would have to relax the spending rules because 
if you've only got 17 teams that can be relegated, but there's 20 teams in the division, you'd have to allow the teams that, let, let's say, normally would finish 17th to 13th or 12th, you'd have to push them to spend a bit more. Now, my proposal for the newly promoted teams is that when they come up, they should be given a three-window grace period on profit and sustainability. So if you get promoted into the Premier League, you can spend whatever you feel necessary. Right, there's going to have been a weird break there because Molly went absolutely bananas because somebody rang the doorbell. So I was in the middle of answering this question from Brad about teams coming up. So let me start my answer again in terms of what I would do. I think you give them three windows, summer, winter, summer, where within reason they can spend and it doesn't hurt them in terms of profit and sustainability. I also think teams coming up should not have to carry their spend from the lower league into the Premier League because the only way to get out of the championship is to spend. Otherwise, it's not possible. That league is too competitive. And when you get teams dropping in from the Premier League, they have a huge advantage financially. So the only way for a team who maybe hasn't been in the Premier League for four or five years to get back up is to spend. And then the only way to stay up is to spend more. And if you're going to tell clubs that in their second season, you're going to hammer them with a 10-point deduction, then what's the point? So I would say, let them come up, start their PNS from then. They have three years of PNS, but the first three windows, even if it's a reduced amount, say like your losses are reduced by 50%. So if you lose 50 million in the first year, it only counts to 25. Do you know? I just think we have to make it so that teams can be can be ambitious and can come back up properly. That's my view on it. Um, Chris Colby, we're two years from the 21-22 winter transfer window. How would you rate the most expensive transfers, 1 to 10, with their impact on the receiving team? Who's the most overrated signing and what was your favorite smaller deal? Also, what was the most impactful loan? So that's the January 2022 transfer window. Okay, let's see. So there's a top 10 list here of signings. So... That's not going to do. That's not going to work at all. That's Kieran Trippier below Anthony Martial. So I'm not sure what way they're actually listing them. Um, Transfers by club. Right. Arsenal signed. Matt Turner, Austin Trusty, and Lino Sosa. Um... 
Matt Turner has been sold. Lino Sosa has left to join Aston Villa and has gone on loan to Plymouth. And Austin Trusty has also been sold. So I would say for Arsenal, that window is a failure. Um, moving on to Aston Villa. They signed Luca Dina, Callum Chambers, Robin Olsen, and Phil Coutinho. Phil Coutinho has already been binned off. Luca Dina has already been replaced, and the other two did nothing. <clears throat> I would say that window is an F. Um, Brentford signed Christian Eriksen. He was really good for them. They signed him on a short-term contract, but I would give them a C for that one. For Brighton, Kasper Kozlowski. Dennis Undav, Billy Clark. Um, hmm. Undav didn't work out. Kozlowski's been on loan. Looks a really good player, but I, I'll give it a, a D because it hasn't really made a huge amount of difference. They did sell Dan Byrne for decent money. Burnley signed Veghorst. It made no difference. They went down. That's an F. Chelsea signed Mason Burstow. And Dylan Williams, neither of whom were ever likely to make any impact. Palace signed Jean-Philippe Mateta and Luke Plange. Uh, Mateta's been okay. Uh, Plange, he hasn't really played a whole lot, has he? He's still, he's 21 now. Uh, He's had four loans and he's never kicked a ball for Crystal Palace. We will go D for them. Everton, Michael Enko, Patterson, Billy Crallon, Deli Ali, Donny van de Beek, and Anwar El Ghazi. El Ghazi was a disaster. Van de Beek was a disaster. Deli's been a disaster. I like Patterson. I think he's I think he's a good player, and I think Michael Enko's been good this season. I'll give them a B minus. Leeds signed Mateo Fernandez and Ryan Edmondson. Uh, Ryan Edmondson was a lone ending. He was coming back off that, so we'll go F. Leicester didn't sign anybody. Liverpool signed Luis Diaz. Um, I'd give it a C+. Manchester City signed Julian Alvarez. I think that's a solid B. Manchester United didn't do anything. Newcastle signed Bruno Gamerish, Chris Wood, Dan Byrne, Kieran Trippier, and brought Matt Target in on loan. Um, the Target one hasn't worked. Trippier's been largely good. Burns been largely good. Wood wasn't good, but they got most of their money back. Gamerish has been unbelievable, so it's an A. Uh, Norwich did nothing. Southampton signed Willie Caballero as a free. So F. Spurs signed Rodrigo Bentoncourt and Dejan Kulisevsky. I would give that a B plus. Watford signed Okoye, Kayembe, Kamara, Kalu, and Yasser Espria. I would say overall, Yasser Espria alone makes it a B for me. And then West Ham did nothing. Um, Yeah, so that's how I'd rate those teams. So my favorite deal of that window is the Gamerish one. He's the best player that moved. 
and I'm still annoyed that Liverpool didn't buy him. He would have been sensational. Um, smaller deals. I, I, I really like the Christian Eriksen one. Really like the Christian Eriksen one. I thought it was a, it was really good to see him back play playing football, and you know it was good to see Brentford signing a player of of that reputation. Um. AMK2889, what is your ceiling for Kwanzaa, Bradley, Elliot, and Jones? Do you think any of them at some point could be the best from their generation that given positions? Can you see all four of them staying at Liverpool for the best parts of their career? Um, hmm. Kwanzaa has everything Barra turn a pace. It's a little bit slow on the turn. Now he reads the game really well. I think he can be a, f- a regular first choice starter for Liverpool. <clears throat> Connor Bradley as a wing back, I think could be a regular starter for Liverpool in a couple of years. Cause he's really good getting forward defensively. He's got a lot of work to do, but there's flashes that he has the tools to do it. Elliot, I don't think, will be a starter for Liverpool long-term. And I think Elliot probably leaves Liverpool in the next three to four years. But I think he'll play at Liverpool and play regularly as in the same kind of role he has now in the interim. And maybe under a different manager with a different shape and a different style of play, he might trigger something else and he might spark and he, he, he may well establish himself as a first choice starter. I think Jones will stay most of his career. I think he'll be like the fourth starter for three man midfield, the third starter for two man midfield, that type of thing. Can I see all four, any of them staying at Liverpool? Yeah, I, I could see, I certainly see three of them staying long-term. Harvey is the one I'd have a doubt over long term. But I'm I'm a big fan of the two kids that have broken through this year, Quansa and Bradley. I think they're both and the mindset is is spot on. They're so intelligent, they're mature beyond their age. They clearly have the desire, which maybe they could teach to one or two of their more senior, well not senior, but older teammates. But yeah, big fan. Right, that was a bit of a messy segment, but we're going to go to break. We're going to come back, do the gossip and be done for the day. Right, welcome back. So, uh, news. Danny Alves is a terrible set of lads, and that's all I have to say about him. Tony Cruz has announced that he will return to the German national team for the upcoming Euros because the coach asked him, and he's just in the mood to do so. Joe Hart is going to retire at the end of this season. Uh, This is his third season with Celtic. He has reinvigorated his career up there, but he has made the decision that this will be his last. Working under Brendan Rodgers will do that to you. Uh, Jim Ratcliffe, Manchester United's new part owner, says he wants a new national stadium in the north, and he also wants the government to pay for it, which is very, very bizarre. Very, very bizarre indeed. Everton hope that their appeal against their points deduction will be settled around the end of the month. Of course, they are facing a second charge for breaching the profit and sustainability 
in the following season. But the case for the second charge cannot be heard until their appeal against the first deduction takes place. Um, I, I don't know what to think. Genuinely don't know what to think. But they're not getting out of this with no points deducted, is my guess. I'd be stunned if they got away with two. And it would lead likely to serious lawsuits. There's already multiple clubs threatening lawsuits against the Premier League and against Everton. Uh, gossip. West West Ham are monitoring Dominic Solanke. That would make sense. He'd fit well there. And that's a nice move for him. Chelsea lead Arsenal in the race to sign Victor Osman. Uh, actually, PSG lead both. But, you know, never let the truth get in the way of your clickbait. Uh, Bayern Munich manager Thomas Tuchel will prioritise a move back to England when he leaves the German club at the end of the season. Jurgen Klopp will not replace Tuchel as he's going to take a year off. Uh, Bayern Munich will rival Liverpool for Bayer Leverkusen manager Xabi Alonso. Former Real Madrid boss Zinedine Zidane would return to management to take the Bayern Munich job. That would be a pretty interesting fit. My feel on Alonso is that he might stay at Leverkusen for a year and wait for the Real Madrid job and just get that out of the way because he wants to manage them at some point. He'll never get the opportunity to manage a better team than what they're currently constructing with Mbappe joining all that midfield talent, Arda Guler, Vinny Jr., Rodrigo, potentially Alfonso Davies, potentially Lenny Yaro, Thibaut Courtois already there, Militao already there. Like, they're one, maybe two players away from being absolutely spectacular for the next five to six years. AC Milan's 37-year-old striker Olivier Giroud could leave the club for MLS at the end of the season. That one would make sense. Chelsea will listen to offers for Robert Sanchez this summer. Well, I told them at the time that wasn't very good, a very good move, and they've quickly learned. The Blues are not entertaining offers for Levi Colwell. We'll see how that stands come June, when the pressure's on. Luka Modric is set to leave Real in the summer, which is fair. Um, you'd imagine he'll probably go to MLS or maybe to Saudi. I think MLS would be cool. France forward Kylian Mbappe will take a pay cut to join Real Madrid. Al Itahad are targeting Mohamed Salah and Sung Hyung Min. Now, of course, this is an exclusive from Steve K, which means he's just made it up. I wonder, does he make up his stories when he's sitting on the bog or something? That's my guess. That's my guess. Uh, Manchester United and Arsenal are keen on Matthias Tell. He's a really talented player, but I'd imagine whoever the next Bayern manager is will actually give him opportunities. Liverpool hope to be favoured to sign Luis Guilherme from Palmieres. I don't know about that. Chelsea and Arsenal are leading the race to sign Aberdeen centre-back Lewis Carroll at the end of the season. Okay. English midfielder James Garner has been targeted by Tottenham and Newcastle with the 22-year-old Englishman appealing in many aspects to the Premier League sides. He's a good player. He's a good player. Right, folks, that'll do. I will see you all tomorrow. Hopefully we have no doorbell ringing at the time. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.